This week we're talking about Facebook fundraising and the tactics you should employ on that platform. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be here with Julia Campbell, the nonprofit digital strategist uh, based in Boston, also author of Storytelling uh, in the Digital Age, a guide for nonprofits. Uh, Julia, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me on, George. I appreciate it. Well, I am excited because we're going to be touching on a lot of hot topics, frankly, in the nonprofit world. But why don't you give us uh, a bit of a rundown? Uh, you know, you're at the uh, you're at the cocktail hour. Maybe uh, okay. maybe in, I don't know, let's say San Francisco, and someone says, hey, <laughs> Julia, w- what is it that you do? Well, I help nonprofits build their movements using digital tools. So my goal in life is to really help increase nonprofits' clarity and confidence using social media and digital tools. So to take the guesswork out of it, to help them create a strategy, to really help them identify their audience and get their message out there and get more visibility for their cause and for the great work that they do. And how long have you been in the game, so to speak? Well, I started out as a development marketing director quite a few years ago, right after college. I joined the Peace Corps and then I came home and I was a a full-time development director, marketing director, outreach director, sometimes all three in one job. Then I decided to start my consulting business around nine years ago um, and I've been self-employed and working for myself for nine years, nine years in March. Wow. Congratulations. Living the dream. Thanks. Yeah, I, it's it's been really wonderful. I feel like I have uh, no day is the same. Every single day is different, and I get to work with a lot, a lot of diverse and interesting organizations rather than just focusing all my efforts on one, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and uh, I I kind of I was following this sort of like rule of three when it was the third time that I had run into you. I was like, all right, we are we're gonna get you on the podcast. I'm gonna figure out what you're about uh, because you go to every single conference that I can imagine. I think you said you went to about like 20 of them the other year. I try to. So I yeah, I love speaking. I love doing trainings and workshops. I am fortunate enough that I know I've been getting my name out there. People have been asking me to speak. I've been providing workshops all over the country, um, in San Francisco and Charlotte and Erie, Pennsylvania. And I don't even, I don't even know, like I was saying to you earlier, I don't know what time zone I'm in or what day it is 90% of the time, but I really love getting out there and talking to nonprofits in the trenches that are really doing the work and helping them figure out the landscape of social media and how to navigate it and how to create their own little roadmap for their organization. So that's really what I love to do, even though traveling, as you know, can be pretty exhausting. I love doing that. So let's talk about some digital storytelling trends that you're seeing uh, currently, 2018, moving into you know Q3, Q4 timeframe here. What are you, what are you seeing? 
The biggest trends that I'm seeing really is the complete shift over to video. So nonprofits are late adopters. Some nonprofits are early adopters, but we have to get on board the video game here, not the video game, but the game of creating and sharing videos, especially shorter videos that are made for social media. So I think that nonprofits have it all figured out in terms of they have that either five to 10 minute long video that they show at their gala where they interview every single board member and every single staff member and it's got music and edits and all of this fancy stuff. But we need to get better at sharing in the moment behind the scenes that like raw authentic video footage and those kinds of clips and those kinds of photos and stories. So really that in the moment storytelling. So that could be Facebook Live is a great example, Instagram Live, or it could be those ephemeral apps like Instagram Stories, Facebook Stories, and Snapchat. So those are, that's really one of the biggest trends. The other trend that I think we are going to talk about today is the Facebook fundraising tool that's just been completely exploding in popularity and use based on, you know, a number of different reasons, but probably ease of use to set up and the fact that you know, 87% of Americans are using Facebook at this point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I want to, yes, definitely touch on the Facebook fundraising elements. I want to come to the thought that may be creeping through somebody's mind at a nonprofit right now. They run an organization that's like around a million dollars. They're tight on staff. They're tight on everything on time. And now you're telling me I have to, like, create a video studio? How do we, uh, what hacks do you have? What tools do you like for managing these video assets, creating them and churning them out? Because it's easy to say, sure, yeah, obviously video is great, but who's got, who's got time for that? Right. I think that organizations need to think about the content that they're putting out already and turn it into a video format. So you're telling stories or you are putting a post on Facebook thanking a sponsor. Why not turn that into a quick video just made with your phone? So there are many, many free and low-cost apps out there. I can give everyone lists. I can actually put a, on the show notes page, um, a list of free and low cost apps for nonprofits to use. But your phone at this point, your phone is your digital mobile video studio. Um, you can attach a lavalier mic a lot of the times, or you can have a Bluetooth mic, um, because I know not a lot of phones have the, um, headphone jack anymore. You can attach a really easy light that will, you know, help illuminate the face of the person or the the subject of the video. But even if you don't have anything, I think just the authenticity of taking out your phone and just showing your face if you're the development director, marketing director, executive director and just saying Thank you to everyone who donated last night or came out last night. Just a five-second, ten-second video that's in the moment, that's genuine, that's authentic. So think about using your brand's social media like people do their personal social media. They share so much of what's going on in their personal life, and you need to start thinking about your nonprofit in that way and start sharing the daily goings-on of your organization because the social media beast is never satiated, but you don't, you know, you don't want to be creating content that just for the sake of creating content, but people are seeking humanized brands. They want to connect with faces and people over logos. So you don't need to have a video studio. 
there's certainly a time and a place for those professional videographers out there and don't want um, people to think that I'm trying to put them out of a job, but it's not as intense as I think one would, one would think. And I'm on a mission to really convince small nonprofits that they can do it. They can do this. They can take out their phone and they're at their desk and just say, thank you, Fred, for that $100 donation. That was amazing. And just put that on Twitter, put that on Facebook. Um, so it's those in the moment, real, authentic, spontaneous videos that I'm talking about that work on social a lot more than the planned and edited and beautifully, um, you know, composed videos. Very cool. Challenge, challenge accepted. If you're listening, take out your phone, record the next thank you. You were going to send somebody and see what happens. Right. Okay. Facebook fundraising. All right. Give me, give me the landscape, bring me up to date. I've been living under a rock. Facebook fundraising. What? So, (laughs) so as we know, about 2 billion humans are on Facebook and what Facebook is trying to do is they are really trying to get everyone back into not just thinking, but acting on our best impulses when we're using Facebook. So they want to encourage people that when they care about a cause, when they're very interested and passionate about an issue, to connect that passion and that focus to raising actual real money for an organization. So for organizations, this means you should you should be definitely paying attention. It's a hugely, hugely powerful tool. We all know peer-to-peer fundraising. I would hope that we had experienced peer-to-peer fundraising. That is when a friend asks a friend to give to a fundraiser, that tends to be the most powerful kind of fundraising. So I think an example that I want to give to you is that my daughter just turned nine. She wanted to have a lemonade stand, like a physical lemonade stand to raise like physical cash (laughs) for the local animal shelter. It got rained out and she was devastated. She and her friend were devastated. So I put up a post on Facebook and I said, hey, everybody, my daughter really wanted to do this lemonade stand. I know a lot of you were planning on coming. Unfortunately, it got rained out. Um, If you could, please donate to her fundraiser. And then you put, I put a donate button. I attached it to a donate button that goes to the Cape Ann Animal Aid, which is the fundraiser that we created for her birthday. And within 24 hours, we raised $300 from people across the country that some of them I hadn't spoken to in an incredibly long time. Some of them were close friends. Some of them were associates. Some of them were people that I are friends and friends with on Facebook, but I barely know. But the what caused them to donate was the power of the personal ask, you know, who doesn't want to support a nine-year-old girl raising money for an animal shelter, but also the ease of donation. So since Cape Ann Animal Aid is officially registered with Facebook, it's only two clicks to make a donation. You click donate and then you click an amount and then you click submit and you're able to make a donation in any amount that you choose and it goes directly to the organization. So the power is there. The power and the potential is there. I know that a lot of smaller nonprofits are are struggling with 
some concerns around Facebook and privacy and connecting it to their donor database, and they don't know if it's a good solution for them. They don't know if it's a viable solution. They don't know if they should put all their you know online fundraising eggs in the Facebook basket. I encourage you to think about it as a tool in your tool belt and not to kind of hinge everything that you're doing on Facebook fundraising, but just know that people are doing it for you. Cape Ann Animal Aid didn't come to us and say, hey, have a fundraiser for us. We did it on our own. We just did it. And um, we ended raising you know, $300 in 24 hours with just one Facebook post. And that got me thinking, wow, I mean, if I really had put some muscle behind this, <laughs> I probably could have raised a lot more money. But we're still, we're still raising money. But I'm just thinking that um, – you know, organizations need to at least be thinking about it as a tool in their tool, but especially around year-end fundraising. So let's get into some of the, the details of this. You said the, the, mm-hmm. the animal shelter nearby had already registered on yes. Facebook. I feel like there's a lot of people being like, well, how do I do that? What is yep. the process? Can you talk us through that? Is there a cost? How much time does it take? Do I need to have a page already? You do need to have a Facebook page. The category of your Facebook page needs to be set to nonprofit organization, and you need to go to donations.fb.com and register. So they're changing the qualifications every day, but right now, I mean, U.S.-based 501c3s can apply. If you have a 501c3 letter, if you have that EIN number, you can submit it to Facebook. The process, they say, takes about two to three weeks, but I've heard anywhere from 48 hours to five weeks. I mean, it depends. If you're thinking about doing it for year-end fundraising, absolutely go and register right now. If you don't know if you're registered, if you go to donations.fb.com, it will walk you through the process and you'll be able to figure out if you're officially registered. What being officially registered means is that you're set up for Facebook payments. That means if I want to donate to you through the donate button anywhere on the site, it's two taps. It's two taps to donate. So all that means is that I tap the donate button and then I can select an amount and then I click submit. So it's it just makes it so much easier for the user. It also makes it easier for the nonprofit because you're going to get real-time notifications on these payments, and you're going to get 48-hour reporting on your donations um, and on your donors, which is, of course, another issue that I think we're going to talk about. But registering with Facebook payments simply means it's much easier for people to donate to you, and it's much easier for you to get the payments and the tracking information on the back end. Also, there's no fees. Facebook eliminated all fees for 501c3s to raise money on Facebook, which is pretty amazing. So it's completely free to set up, and um, it's it does not very time-consuming to set up. What is time-consuming is learning how to use the tools and effectively training your supporters on how to fundraise for you. Yeah, lots to dig in here, but you mentioned uh, some of the data. So are you saying that if I register with Facebook payments, I can actually get the information of the donors that gave to me? That depends. This is the biggest bone of contention that I have with Facebook payments and that I know many of you listening, if you are registered or if you've heard the rumors. So 
The only real con that I see with Facebook payments and registering for these, you know, free Facebook fundraising tools is that you do not get much information on the donor. So you'll get information on the person if they're holding a fundraiser for you. So Cape Ann Animal Aid will get my information since I started a fundraiser for them. But all those people that donated to my fundraiser on my behalf, they may or may not get the information. People have to self-select and check the box where it, that it says, I accept and I, you know, I will give my information to Cape Ann Animal Aid. A lot of people may or, you know, they may not select that box. So you have their name, but you may not have any other information about them. Another important thing to know is that my name on Facebook is Julia Gulia. So if I'm in your database as Julia Campbell, you may not be able to match me up. So a lot of people think that that's kind of a detriment. I understand, I think, where Facebook is coming from because they are, they're completely dedicated to user experience and they want the user to have a good experience on their site. And they don't want users to be prevented from fundraising because they think they're going to be automatically signed up for all these email newsletters and they're going to get lots of solicitations. I understand that completely. So I can see it from Facebook's perspective. I see it from the nonprofit perspective where it's not as appealing an option um, because you don't get that data. However, I should say that Facebook is recognizing that and they are opening up their back end, you know, their, their API on the back end, and they are letting certain um, databases link up with it. So BlackBot is one of them. So if you have BlackBot, then you can link up your BlackBot fundraisers with your Facebook fundraisers and they'll sync and you'll get all of that information. But BlackBot is the only one I know of so far that links directly with Facebook fundraisers. So we're, we're just waiting and seeing on that one. Yeah, and like you said, it's uh, it's day by day with what what's coming over the fence from Facebook for sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what well, actually, I did have one other question: is mm -hmm. what about some of this? As you talked about name confusion, but on the nonprofit side, as we know, the IRS, you know, registered name that we have. Uh, maybe different than are doing business as people know me as X, but we happen to be registered as Y. How do we handle Ooh. that, or is it just good luck? Oh, that's such a tough one. So this is something that organizations struggle with a lot, especially when they want to change their name. So say someone started a Facebook page for you seven years ago, and now you want to change your name or you want to alter your name on Facebook. Facebook doesn't like that very much also. <laughs> I can't even imagine the volume that these people have to go through and sift through every single day. That could be challenging. I, I don't really have any advice other than just to submit and see what happens. Where I find a lot of smaller nonprofits run into problems is that they have a fiscal sponsor and they don't have their own 501c3 IRS designation. You can't, you cannot have the uh, donate button in that case. Like the donations would go to that, whoever your fiscal sponsor is. That is something that's incredibly challenging as well. Um, I know I worked with the American Childhood Cancer Organization, and they have a lot of chapters called Founding Hope Chapters all across the country that raise money for their individual localities, but they all are under the fiscal sponsorship of the ACCO. So that was, that was just a huge, 
issue for them because they can't do Facebook fundraisers because otherwise all the money is just flooding into the one national organization. So it remains to be seen if that's going to be changed or not. But right now, that is that's something to think about. Time to feed the whales with a quick word from our sponsor, Whole Whale. Lighthouse by Whole Whale is a brand new Google Analytics add-on that lets you see what each of your email subscribers are doing on your website. Lighthouse links your email CRM with Google Analytics to connect the dots in your data. Give your supporters what they need by getting to know exactly what they're looking for. This easy and affordable tool shines light on what content, what pages, what paths, and what clicks they may have explored in the past two years. Learn more at getlighthouse.io. That's getlighthouse.io. And now back to our show. But let's talk about that strategy, though. You know, you are walking into an organization who may have regional supporters and individual uh, individuals who can, you know, take action, and uh, maybe you're on a razor's edge, or maybe you're using some other crowdfunding P2P platform. What is the Facebook fundraising strategy? Is it a hey, super donors, uh, give us a give us your birthday, or is it set up a fundraiser? Is this a call to action that we are strategically saying our stakeholders should do? Yes, and you better believe, like the bigger organizations out there are doing this. So Charity Water has been doing this forever, even before Facebook fundraisers. They have been asking people to donate their birthday forever. And I actually think that that was a huge impetus for Facebook to promote birthday fundraisers because they saw the success of what Charity Water did on a you know completely different platform. You need to be strategically collecting information about your donors and your supporters and actively educating them on the tools. So a lot of times nonprofits sign up for these tools, but then they don't tell anybody. And then they say, oh, well, no one donated online or no one gave to our, uh, gave to us on the donate button, but they didn't actively tell anybody or do an education campaign. So if this is something that you want to set up, you are going to have to be very proactive in telling people that it exists. I think the simplest, lowest touch way is to encourage people to donate their birthday because Facebook is already doing that for you. So my birthday is in July. I probably received 20 reminders right when I logged into Facebook. Every time I logged into Facebook, it would say, Julia, your birthday's coming up. Would you like to run a fundraiser for a nonprofit? And I happened to not do that this year because I was already raising money for 10 million other things. And I didn't, want, <laughs> I didn't want to get people confused. So I think that with the power of Facebook behind you, if you just send out emails, of course, if you have people's birthdays, that's much more effective. And I know a lot of organizations are starting to collect that information because of Facebook fundraisers. But if you have information on maybe when they gave their first gift so sending out saying, hey, it's your one-year anniversary of your first gift. Would you like to start a Facebook fundraiser? It's Giving Tuesday is coming up. Would you like to start a Facebook fundraiser? And telling people the three or four steps required to actually set it up. I would even do something where you hold a webinar, you hold uh, an in-person event, or you just hold you know, some kind of conference call where you're actually showing people how to do it. I think that more people would actually start fundraisers if they knew it was an option and if they if they knew how to do it. So the big organizations, uh, the big national ones, they're already doing this. I think small nonprofits can do it as well. 
Yeah, I think the uh, the light bulbs should be going off uh, across uh, across the uh, the nonprofit sphere right now. Or anybody listening to this, I know right now I'm uh, getting really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be doing more of this for uh, Power Poetry, a nonprofit that I run uh, immediately. Actually, I may end yes. up early and go run off and go do this. Alrighty. Yep. yep. Well, oftentimes when something seems too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously not, right? So right. that's why I want to introduce our uh, rousing round of mm-hmm. pro versus con. Uh, okay. Julia, would you like to take the pro versus or versus con side on the Facebook fundraising? Good thing or bad thing? I don't know. I mean, you know me. I probably want to take the good thing. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, it's... Uh, it's okay. So I'm guess. saying all the pros? Well, yeah. You give me a pro and I give you a con. We joust for a bit okay. and we uh, we see what the audience thinks okay to me the number one pro is facebook actively pushing these tools out to people encouraging users to raise money on facebook for causes they care about they're actively doing it on the con side as we mentioned with regard to data if i don't know who's giving and i don't know that relationship I can't rely on this, as I've been told before, with regard to donor stewardship. How do I even thank these folks? They're going to think I'm a meanie. Do you want me to do another pro or address that? Yeah, keep going. Or you you can respond to that saying and then – Okay. Pro, Facebook loves its shiny new tools, and they love when you stay inside their ecosystem. Running a fundraiser is going to get you more reach and exposure – and engagement, and Facebook pushes fundraisers up the newsfeed. So I feel like I've been to this rodeo before, Julia. Mm-hmm. You know, about seven years ago, all the all the all the kids were talking about creating a Facebook page. I could reach so many people. I had only just to press publish, and that generous newsfeed, because it was a new toy, would be flooded with my nonprofit's message. My current reach is approaching the floor. I post something on my fan page, which used to be this wonderful free tool, and suddenly nobody sees it, and now I have to pay in order to reach the people that I push to. Why Why is this any different? Why is this not going to change in a year or two when they get tired of the shiny toy, and after I've become completely dependent on fundraising here, why wouldn't they just pull the rug away and start charging increasing premiums because, you know, Zuckerpants. That's a good con. I don't know. <laughs> I want to like address your cons because I was no. Debate go about on. In, this is um, this is pro versus con. So what, what are okay. your thoughts on that? <laughs> so for the first con about thanking the donors, to me, Facebook fundraisers are about building a relationship with your super fans and your super donors. So KPN Animal Aid has you know they're they're probably not the best example they're very very tiny but what i would do if i was a larger organization is i would reach out to people personally that are holding fundraisers and thank them or send them a pen or a t-shirt or something um make a phone call do something offline to really thank them and bring them into the fold because these are the people that are going to be consistently giving to you year after year or hopefully donating their birthday year after year. So these are your super fans, your super donors that you want to retain. The rest of the donors, I'm not as concerned about, I mean, certainly they should get a thank you, but people are giving to my 
my fundraiser because of Isabel and her ninth birthday. It's not necessarily that they care about Cape Ann Animal Aid. I mean, just to be completely real. So I'm not as concerned about the little $5, $10 donor and bringing them into the fold long term. Certainly you want to acknowledge them and you want to encourage them to learn more, but I'm more focused on the person doing the fundraising and donating their birthday. And I think it's an opportunity for people that have been supporting you for a really long time, but they want to do more to do more and to get more involved and then to potentially become a major gift donor or a board member or a planned giving donor. So I see it as donor stewardship on steroids, except you're not stewarding all the donors. You're stewarding, you're stewarding like your super powerful, passionate donors. So that's my kind of my philosophy around it. Okay. On my other con, I know you wanted to uh, also respond on the, wait a minute, I've been to this rodeo before. Yeah. But I mean, you can't, it's sort of like we've been, we've all been sold a bill of goods through social media. You know, when the internet began, people thought you could just put up a website and money would roll in, you know, and that that's definitely not the case. Like, look, I'm just reading an amazing book, The Attention Merchants by Tim Wu. And he talks about the origination of advertising. He's talking about the people that are harvesting our attention and the introduction of radio advertising. I'm on the chapter that's like the Mad Men kind of chapter, the TV ad, Golden Age. And it's happened throughout history again and again and again and again and again. Like we thought radio would save us. No, we thought TV was going to save us. It didn't. We thought the internet was going to be like the next big thing. And what we need to realize is that the tools and the trends keep changing, but our strategy and our, our content, our messaging really shouldn't change. And if you read this book, it's interesting because he says that the same messages work. They've worked since the 1800s. It's that storytelling and that creating a tribe of passionate people and passionate supporters that then bring in other people. So I just think, you know, ride the wave while it's good, ride the wave, and then there might be another wave, and then just never put all of your eggs in one basket, but certainly, like, get in while, get in while the going's, well, the going's good. I don't know if that even makes sense. Get in while the water's fine. I don't know. I don't know my, um... You've strongly mixed a a good amount of metaphors here. (laughs) But I think just ride the wave, you know, and... Just see what happens. And if it ends up not working for you, it's trial and error. I just really firmly believe nonprofits need to be a little more innovative and forward thinking in what they do and a little less like risk averse. That's just me. Uh, all right. Thank you for playing pro versus con. I think we uh, we unearthed we unearthed some things uh, and some different thoughts there for sure. Alrighty. Are you ready to move into our rapid fire round, Julia? God, I've heard horror stories about this, yes. I don't know who's telling horror stories about Rapid Fire, but I love it. <laughs> I love that our podcast has has reached so far into the psyche um, that we're there. But anyway, uh, please respond uh, quickly and accurately to our silly, sometimes random, but always important questions. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the past year? Later. It's an app where you can pre-schedule Instagram and Pinterest posts, and it's amazing. What are some tech dragons you need to slay in the coming months? 
I need to completely focus my attention and not have 45 Google tabs open at one time and 75 apps open on my phone. I need to focus. Is that a tech dragon? I don't know. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that currently shapes how you do business. I, I this is a tough one. I want to think. I want to use an example from the Peace Corps, um, which I guess would be early in my career, even though it's volunteer. But we went in, and I went in, just completely assuming that I knew everything and that I had this and that it would be a piece of cake. And I also did that when I went to my very first development job um, when I was a development director. I just assumed, oh, I got this. It's so amazing. Like, I can do everything. No. And then as soon you realize that you have no idea what you're doing and you need to um, check yourself. If you could jump in the hot tub time machine and go back to the Julia who set off on her own to create her own freelancing company, what would you tell her? I would tell her to keep doing exactly what she's doing. So I believe that everything that I did and every mistake I made and any, you know, any bad paths I went down really led me to where I am today. So I, I don't know. I would just say, you know what? It will get better. It will get easier. You're going to have a lot of highs. You're going to have a lot of lows. Um, you're going to have two kids and that's going to be hard, but you'll, you'll get through it and it'll be amazing. And just stick with it and believe in yourself. You know, I think I would say, stop feeling so inferior all the time. You know, you got this. What is something you think you should stop doing? I should stop feeling inferior all the time. (laughs) No, I there are two things I should stop trying to be the expert in everything and, trying to learn about everything and I need, I just need to focus. Um, I do a really terrible job on focusing and I also need to stop undervaluing the services I provide. And, and, you know, women have that inferiority complex. A lot of the time we think we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be paid this much. We're not supposed to have this much success. We should probably step back in the back of our minds. We always think that, and I, I need – I'm making a conscious effort to stop doing that. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Can successfully go out of business? Absolutely. I think that more nonprofits should think about ways that they can consolidate and collaborate with other organizations. And honestly, I wish that people would stop starting nonprofits without doing the proper – research and I could completely go off on a soapbox, but people contact me all the time. They probably contact you, George, as well and say, how do I start a nonprofit? How do I get it off the ground? And I always say to them, don't take three months and look around your area and see if there's somebody else doing something similar because starting your own nonprofit with all of the logistics and paperwork and fundraising and everything that comes with it is a huge undertaking. And I, you know, I think there's room in the world for everyone's great idea, but I don't think everybody needs to be incorporated. What advice, what advice would you give recent college graduates looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say do, I mean, nothing very original. I guess I would say do a lot of, just do a lot of research, 
a lot of grad students and graduates and recent grads reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anyone. I don't have that perfect career trajectory that you might be seeking, but I'm certainly happy to talk to you. Another thing is that I would really look for ways that you can make, you know, way like organizations that are innovative and doing different things. Um, you know, I wouldn't take a job just because you feel like you have to take it or just because you feel like it's the next step in, in your career that makes sense. But I would say, you know, I'm happy to open it up. Anyone can contact me if they want. People contact me all the time about that. I'm happy to talk to you. All right. Final question. Just in time. How do people find you? How do people help you? Oh, great. Well, I am on Twitter all the time. I'm at Julia C social and my website is jcsocialmarketing.com. I, I don't know, I guess how you can help me. I mean, I'm, I'm my hands in so many different honeypots right now. I would love if you read my book and gave me your honest feedback. I would love if you took my social media course with TechSoup. I would love if you just sent me an email and said what you're struggling with, because that often helps me create the kinds of content for my webinars and my courses and my blog posts. So just connect with me and reach out and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Julia, thank you for sharing your knowledge. You gave us a lot of great ideas today uh, and good luck. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. think it's really helpful to talk to somebody who is in the field doing the work and implementing strategies around this uh, very exciting uh, Facebook fundraising tactic. I use the word tactic. I meant to be a little sort of uh, on the con side. I was happy I could have that argument there because while I think this is awesome, you should absolutely stop listening to this and immediately set up your Facebook fundraising uh, page and mechanisms in place and, and do the messaging. Keep in the back of your mind that uh, things that are too good to be true uh, tend, tend to follow suit. So it works for right now. The way you insulate is saying this is a tactic for now. We want to also make sure that we are building relationships with our super users. We're not ignoring them. We are taking the information that we are given um, and we're, we're taking that back into our database, into our CRMs, and making sure that it falls into our communication strategies. And, you know, that at the very least, you know, while while the golden goose is here giving, giving you free donations and pieces like that, by all means use it. But remember, build the asset internally on a system that you own, the asset being the list of people with whom you have the permission to build a relationship and communicate with uh, and don't solely rely on any tool that you don't uh, own or own the access to export and uh, message through. So that is my, my public service announcement about, uh, about the tactic, but uh, I think it's brilliant. I think you should absolutely do it. Over $300 million, according to a recent article, uh, has been raised. $300 million, uh, has been raised uh, through these Facebook birthday fundraisers. So, you know, get up on it. There's free money, folks. Resources, as always, will be available in episode 103 at hoyle.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale. 
For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at wholewhale. And thanks for joining us. Greg Thomas, music.org. That's the guy. That's the music. You've heard it. You've heard it before. He's awesome. Go check him out. GregThomasMusic.org. Thanks, Greg. You rock.